The Gucci Girl, Prada Professional, Coach Queen, or Target Trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, principal at Top Sale Strategies, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow only on her strings. Good afternoon and welcome to First Strings. I'm Maria Ritan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch First Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman, of course. Well, I want to talk a little bit about 1-800-Flowers. This is from Search Marketing Daily, an article by Lori Sullivan. Thank you, Lori. She did a profile on Arnie Lee. He is 1-800-Flowers CIO, and this is really a story about how CIOs and CMOs need to get together to try to evolve the customer experience. Apparently, Arnie Leap has decided to bring the two together and bring all of 1-800-Flowers together, which is more than a dozen brands to work off of one platform and that allows consumers to have a really quite significant personalized experience with with each of those channels. Apparently, this is a problem. A lot of CIOs and CMOs don't collaborate together and as a result, there's disconnect with the customer experience. Forrester Research has shown that 72% of businesses say they want to improve customer experience, but only 63% prioritize technology investments to help that happen. What's going to happen is mobile has really driven this as a need, and Leap said that 1-800-Flowers began really recreating this experience three years ago as mobile grew in importance, and he thinks the next generation will become conversational bots, but we're not there yet. What's going to happen is 1-800-Flowers will take those techniques that I talked about, and it'll provide a personalized concierge service for online shoppers. It gives... In the back end, Arnie Leap, significant data and analysis allowing us to drill down into what creates loyalty and more information into that customer experience I talked about. For example, you may have an option to correlate purchases with weather data and then forecast purchases or experiences with weather patterns. So that's really getting super smart. So think about converging all of your technologies onto one platform, make it easier, save yourself some time, and actually enhance the data that you get. Our purse profile today is the Bag Borrow and Steal Sister. It's an online maven looking for a big bag and a low price. So she's online a lot shopping. She's just perfect for 1-800-Flowers, in fact. And she's always looking for a bargain. There's a lot of these women out there, median age of 46, high school grads, working part-time parents, median household income of about 41K. So more of that middle market type of consumer. As I mentioned, she is looking for the bargain and she's drawn to stores for sales, looking at those special offers. While she may be interested in fashion and concerned about her parents, she is willing to switch around based on value. She'll look for value and she'll switch out her clothes as a result. She's easily influenced, she says, by her friends, by coupons, by fashion magazines. And she does love the art of shopping, any kind of shopping, really, even if she doesn't go out and buy anything. And she shops a lot. So where is she shopping? Lane Bryant, Marshalls, Payless, Victoria's Secret, Target and Walmart, JCPenney, Old Navy are just tops with her. She's driving a Chevy, an Oldsmobile, Dodger, Chrysler. 
and she likes Chloe, Mud, Liz Claiborne, Lane Bryant, and Victoria's Secret as some of those designers. So where can you intersect with her? Well, as I mentioned, she is a mom, so she's online at Parenting. She's also reading Good Housekeeping. Glamour, People, In Touch Weekly, and National Enquirer. And she's watching E! on cable, as well as HGTV, ABC Family, and Lifetime. Well, my guest today has been on before. You may have caught my interviews with Dr. Kathy Foster, Ph.D. Previously, I've had her on to talk about two of her other relationship books, and she's back today to talk about the third, When Your Relationship Changes, A Woman's Journey. Kathy is a psychologist in private practice in Fort Worth, Texas, with a master's degree in marriage and family counseling and a Ph.D. in psychology. She's been practicing psychotherapy for the last 27 years. And you may be asking, well, why does romance have anything to do with purse strings? Well, at the end of the day, it's all about communications, how we communicate with people, our peers, our colleagues, and our partners. And the health of our relationships has a direct impact on the health of ourselves as a human and also as an employee and as a leader and also as a consumer. So it's all intertwined. So I'm thrilled to have Dr. Kathy Foster back on the show to share her latest wisdom tidbits on relationships and what happens when it changes. So everyone stick around. Purse Strings returns in just a moment with Dr. Foster. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Conversion Conference, the can't-miss CRO event of 2016. Join over 750 people from dozens of countries gathering in Las Vegas, May 18th and 19th, for the biggest industry-wide conversion event ever. Four parallel tracks of top content will allow you to personalize the exact topics that you want to focus on, interact with expert speakers at informal networking events, and birds of a feather lunch table topics. Meet dozens of leading CRO companies face-to-face in the expo hall. Get hands-on with pre-conference workshops and master classes. Join us for fun activities such as zip lining and Tim Ash's after party in the presidential suite. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's in Vegas, baby? May 18th and 19th, Conversion Conference last year sold out fast. 
and it's expected to sell out again. So don't miss it. Go to conversionconference.com for details right now. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Rutan. Welcome back to First Strings. My guest today is Kathy Foster, Ph.D. She's a psychologist in private practice in Fort Worth, Texas. You may remember Kathy. She's been on the show two previous times, and I'm thrilled to have her back for a third. She always brings such wise counsel, especially in the area of marriage and family counseling, which is her pet specialty. She's been practicing psychotherapy for the last 27 years, so she's got a lot of wisdom behind her for sure. Today, she's on to talk about her book when your relationship changes and how to find strength and i'm thrilled again to have kathy back on kathy welcome hey maria thanks for having me good to be back oh yes it's so great to have you back we're really going to dive into relationships we've had this topic the last two previous times with slight nuances in this case we all know relationships do change over time i mean change is inevitable and we know at the beginning of a relationship when two people fall hopelessly in love they're usually not the same two people in the years to come i certainly can attest to that and i'm sure you can too so what are some of the feelings and you call it rom-com or romantic comedy myths that couple tend to have in this honeymoon phase of the relationship? Well, you know, Mother Nature wants us to couple, and she imbues new lovers with a hormonal cocktail that makes us high when we're around our partner and kind of low and obsessed about them when we're not. And the cocktail also, this is, this is not as well known, but it makes guys more like women for many months. That is, he's imbued with a mostly female hormone called oxytocin. And it makes him more talkative, more relational, more giving. He remembers the details of your life, etc. But after about 8 to 12 months, we're all going to change. And so men and women are going to return to what's more natural. And for guys, that's the rewards of work or com- competing in sports or something like that. He may not be as attentive, as romantic or relational as she'd hoped, Whereas being relational is her brain's natural orientation, and she can have high expectations that he is expected to meet. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, he's kind of set those expectations in that honeymoon period. And as you said, he will begin to adapt a little bit. And, and I'm sure then she will adapt in relationship to that. So can you talk a little bit about how we evolve as time goes on, both as individuals, because we all need to change as individuals to grow, and also in those relationships that we're talking about today? You know, the, the entire human journey is really about releasing dependency from learning to walk on our own to going to college, we, we grow into greater interdependence. But many people stop once they marry, as though marriage provides the ultimate safe haven and a reprieve from that. It's a socially acceptable dependence, reliance on one another, you know, like you belong to your partner or you're somebody's better half. The old myth is that every person needs a romantic partner to complete him or herself. You know, or are we really complete and whole in and of ourselves? You know, further, people used to marry with the assumption that they would take care of each other. This fundamental basis for a relationship is really weakening because it assumes we're deficient in some way that requires being taken care of. So even if all the couple means is that they're going to take care of each other emotionally, and women usually get the raw end of that deal, the supposition is that people can't be emotionally autonomous. 
And indeed, emotional autonomy is possible, and it is what psychotherapists teach. Now, today, young people are staying single longer, and more people have periods of singleness between coupling. And that means becoming more self-actualized and learning how to navigate life alone and tasting freedom through the course of making more life decisions on your own. So that has resulted in, in a change. Women who marry before age 25 are four times more likely to get divorced. If you marry after 30, women's marriages are more likely to last. The stats are about the same for guys. The chance of divorce is also cut by 30% if a person earns more than $50,000. Now, I don't really think that's about money. It's somewhat about money, but it's also about identity and self-pride that comes from having a career. The statistics support the idea that knowing yourself better through maturation and education and career develops a sense of identity that allows a relationship to flourish. So people are building a stronger sense of self and they're carrying that into the romances, which I think is good. Ironically, though, this self-possession also allows you to feel comfortable being single. <laughs> mm, well, I think that's all positive, frankly, Kathy, the fact that we're coming together as wholer people and therefore are less dependent on the other to make ourselves feel whole. Um, you know, I have two girls and I encourage them to wait a very long time <laughs> before getting into relationships and then, you know, even contemplating marriage, if that's something that they even have on their bucket list. But there are common problems and differences that come up, no matter the maturation, as you say, that can create distance in a relationship over time. Because again, even though you may come together as more whole human beings, you will continue to evolve and change. And as you said before, marriage isn't the end all be all to that. You talk a little bit about some of those changes are unspoken promises. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Okay. Well, let me go to this First, you know, especially in first unions, opposites attract. And this kind of relationship is difficult to sustain over a long period and requires a growing tolerance. First unions typically include starting a family. And the attraction has to do, I think, with nature's putting together a wide gene pool from which to create healthy kids. In, we all know that having too small a gene pool, like with incest or relatives marrying, can create kids with disabilities. But we haven't thought as much about the, the, the fact that we inherit a lot of our personality traits. And when you marry an opposite, you create a foundation for creating healthy kids in a mental health kind of way. So you might have Stephanie, who's a, a gentle, artistic kind of person who needs lots of alone time. And she marries a hard-hitting business guy who loves sports and needs very little alone time. Those kind of differences create passion. We feel that all at once, by coming together with a person of opposite qualities, we vicariously possess those qualities too. And that's part of what the feeling of falling in love is. But a fireworks attraction can fizzle to plain old irritation <laughs> as we get close to the flip side of the person's attractive characteristics. Because like the, the fun, spontaneous person is also impetuous with money. The high-achieving person might be no fun. You know, the extrovert might waste time in shallow relationships, and the deep introvert may never talk. So the characteristics that draw us and hold us there for months or years can then irritate the life out of us. Mm -hmm. So late, later in life, however, 
people tend to, when they get older, they tend to make a different choice and they tend to choose a partner who is more complementary and not so opposite. You know, they, they've learned. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, one of the unspoken promises or agreements uh, that people come into romances with is that no changes will be made. You know, I want you to be the same person I married is a silent understanding. But that doesn't resonate with the growth of today's world because we, our minds are exposed to, to more things, bringing more opportunity, rapid change, growth leaps. And the expectation of marriage was easier to sustain when we were, when we were isolated down on the farm when life revolved around family functions in the grocery store and church. But now we travel, I mean, actually or via the Internet, and we experience life-changing new thoughts, religions, ways of healing, meeting people from all over the world, seeing how the rest of the world lives, experiencing fulfillment outside of romance. You know, it, right now, people change careers. I, and I don't mean jobs. I mean real careers. You know, three times in their working lifetime that that number is going to change from maybe three to five to seven, you know, as we, as our lifetimes expand and we go through intensive training several times in our life and we end up, you know, expanding our identity with a new career. So all in all, we are coming to think of ourselves as more liquid and transformable. And though it's possible for a mate to go with us through these life renovations, sometimes it's just not. Now, a, a third thing that has happened, of course, is that women are more empowered emotionally and financially. They're no longer willing to sacrifice their goals so a guy can have his, and women are really surging forward. I mean, many men still envision being the top dog and the primary focus of the relationship, and that is how it used to be. But empowered with education and more experiences and money, the average woman is less deferential and more self-possessed than her grandmother. You know, in your book, When Your Relationship Changes a Woman's Journey, you describe how many women seek what you're saying is a better-than-the-best type of emotional bonding, but they may, you know, really may not be able to provide it. Why do we do this to ourselves, and what's wrong with seeking this type of bonding? Is there a problem with that? I think a woman has to understand men, and we don't get this in a high school course or something, unfortunately. But I I cover that in depth in the book, uh, The Naked Truth About Men and Romance. But just briefly, let me say here that men's testosterone is 10 to 30 times what a woman's is. And testosterone lowers social skills. We have lots of studies on that. And it tunes a guy into his own goals and creates a push to achieve. So women who are not as high in in, in the testosterone but higher in oxytocin are more other-centered, and Mother Nature had to make sure of that, obviously, so she would stay into her, stay tuned into her kids so they wouldn't get killed. You know, accidents are still the number one killer. So sex equals emotional closeness for most men, whereas dialogue and cooperation make women feel close. So most women can be described as more tender-hearted, responsive, nurturing, more likely to show that they get someone using nonverbal communication, And since girls grow up in those kind of relationships with other girls, they come to expect that kind of way of doing emotional intimacy that centers around dialogue and reading each other. Mm -hmm. They carry that into romance. And and most guys, however, are systemizers, meaning that they detach to analyze some kind of system, whatever that is. 
And they also detach on and off from their relationships. So a woman may feel quite befuddled when a guy doesn't text her five days after they've really hit it off, you know. Now, that's natural for men, and it really doesn't mean anything, but it's not natural for women who stay attached. So, in other words, a woman needs to learn about men. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would help soothe over a lot of issues. I have a feeling I've learned a lot in the last two conversations with you, Kathy, learning every single time we talk. But despite the fact that we may invest in learning about men, we are more accommodating with change, we're not expecting our partner to fulfill everything in our lives, you know, relationships do go away. Some of them go away, or maybe we don't like the direction they're going in and we want to end that relationship. It still tends to be, despite the fact that divorce is more prolific than ever, that there is somewhat of a shame factor attached to this. Can you talk about the villainization of divorce and breakups and what we can do to kind of get over that? Well, let, let me start, and this might surprise listeners, that um, if we turn again to the current hunter-gatherer societies to make an educated guess about how our own ancestors li lived, and this tells us how our nervous systems develop, so that's why we go back to that place. But believe it or not, our ancestral parents chose their first their, their child's first mate, but they didn't insist that the betrothal sustain itself, and most didn't. So these, quote, divorcees <laughs> went on to second and third mates. And that may sound surprising because it's like today. Our ancestors didn't marry for life. And in every way, socially, economically, sexually, women in those societies were powerful and not too dependent to leave. Now, in our complex world, I think this is part of how we, go, we have to see it, Maria, is that young, young couples come together in part to facilitate individuation in each other so that one day they can express fuller autonomy. That's the goal. So relationships serve as a holding place in which to further grow up after parents and schools have done their, their part. Society mourns divorce and even calls it a failure when it often means the purpose of the union has been successfully fulfilled. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it will be a great day when we see it different and when, when we can part in kindness and celebrate the memories and wishing one another greater growth and joy. But first, we, we do have to see divorce differently. You know, the number of human variables operating between two growing people in our world is too great to predict how long their relationship will last. You know, for many, till death do a as part is for a slower, more predictable era. Relationships run their course and come to a natural stopping point. And it's not about somebody being at fault or not trying. The couple understands, or at least usually one of them does, that they can no longer grow together. The vibrancy and health of the relationship simply have a time limit. And if we understood this, we could part as friends and call divorce a redefinition of the relationship rather than failure. Our current expectations that coupling lasts till death is unreasonable for many couples and sets up a needless sense of failure. And rather than, you know, till death do us part, we probably need to say until the death of the relationship parts us. <laughs> mm -hmm. That feels a lot healthier, doesn't it? And releases us from a lot of that shame of failure when failure may just be the definition of that relationship running its natural course. Um, 
we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about what you term love addicts what is a love addict everyone stick around dr kathy foster returns with purse strings in just a moment purse strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Ritan. Welcome back to Purse Strings. Joining me today is Dr. Kathy Foster, and the name may sound familiar. That's because Kathy's been on the program two other times talking about relationships. We're in relationship each and every day, whether with our partner or coworkers, and we have to under, have a depth of understanding of how to communicate with people. And Dr. Foster certainly brings that as a psychotherapist for the last 27 years and the author of multiple books. We've been talking today about When Your Relationship Changes, one of her latest books. And we've been talking specifically about couples and the natural, kind of the natural term limit, if you will, on some relationships and how we need to just let those relationships peter out as would be natural and not be shameful about that. And in your book, When Relationship Changes, Kathy, you talk about love addicts. What do you mean with that term and how can we get out of an addictive cycle if we're in one so we don't keep repeating the same mistakes? Absolutely. You know, though you'd never be, say, a cocaine addict, you might choose romance as your substance of choice. New romances kick in that love cocktail I was talking about, and it fires the brain much the way cocaine does. (laughs) So deep in our oldest reptilian brain lays a reward system attuning us to pleasure, and it could be romance or chocolate or alcohol or shopping, but it fuels an obsession for your lover. And oxytocin opens you to take a chance with a stranger to respond to his compliments, his cologne, his touch. Dopamine then fuels your wanting more and more. Now, about at about the 12 to 18 month mark, you may start feeling like breaking up. Now, I'm talking about if you have this love addiction. 
Now, of course, uh, caveat here, you may have learned enough about the person to realize a relationship can't sustain itself. But if you're, if you're into the love addiction thing, the chemicals are simply wearing off. And you may then go in search of a new relationship to refresh your chemical charge. So let's talk about getting out. Can I say to Maria that, you know, with online dating, I think we're seeing a lot more of this love addiction. Mm-hmm. But to get out, realize that all addiction is about looking outside yourself for something to cling to or be dependent on to equalize your mood. And all addiction therapies begin with stopping your access to the addictive substance. Then solitude, and I talk a lot about solitude in in the book, allows you to turn within and find that you can like yourself and you can be present for and sit with or feel your compulsions rather than obeying them. And you can ride out your anxieties rather than medicating them with a, a new romance. On the other end is freedom and the pride of self-reliance. And lastly, you can begin to seek relationships not based on hot romance and sex. I mean, Hollywood has done us no favor here. But on genuine sharing, you seek to know another while maintaining the balance of tuning into and responding to your own non-romantic needs. You spread out your relational needs so that you seek female friends and relationships with the old and the young and those who are different from you. And this widening of your relational interests brings on a deeper and often more long-lasting fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Well, again, making you a little bit of a better whole person, right? You're not so dependent on that that dopamine, if you will, that, that cocktail, as you describe mm-hmm. it, fueling everything that you want fueled, and you're getting meaning from different types of relationships. Although, you know, when that relationship ends, it's always difficult, whether you're a love addict or not. Talk a little bit about some of the steps we can take to heal from that pain and move on. First, you have to learn to heighten self-care. You know, often a relationship is about compromising and adapting to the other and putting yourself aside and kind of reshaping yourself so you fit with that person. Women are particularly likely to be the ones making the lion's share of those kind of concessions. But you may nourish yourself now by doing the things you you prefer to do, you know, walk mindfully among trees or, uh, you know, begin a butterfly garden or try out a new career or whatever. You may need to spread your wings and take some risks, you know. You, you may want to start a new business or jump out of an airplane or something. You, you can lose yourself, and now you're on a journey to self-discovery. Many women find that caretaking a husband has left them exhausted. As one lady said, she's a caretaker by nature, but she said, I'm beaten down. I'm exhausted from taking care of him emotionally. I feel so much better on my own. I can finally have a life. I realize I could be putting my energy into my work or just spending time the way I want to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think spending that time finding yourself, if you will, or refinding yourself really makes you um, better prepared for the next relationship, right? Which eventually, hopefully does come, but at the same time, you, you want to be able to take your time with that, right? Yeah. I want you, I want people to be careful before they jump into another partnership because there's a, a time period where you need to find your genuine self before you date. Humans are prone to go in and out of being genuine, but being alone can help you maintain your true self. 
alone, you can learn by listening to and studying your, your inner reactions to embrace what resonates within you and reject what doesn't. Alone, you don't have to surrender your, your power to anyone. So solitude is a pause, allowing self-review and self-creation. You deepen your understanding of yourself. You expand your consciousness, unhindered by the voice of another living in your space. You more actively create your own life, what you want it to be. You have more time and space to explore your interests. You hear your own thoughts more clearly. To make decisions alone is different than making them collaboratively. Your ownership is deeper. So solitude can also be a detoxification interlude, a time to disentangle yourself from less than ideal habits and automatic strategies or well-practiced reactions. You can cleanse yourself of the subtle ways in which you've hidden from your own truth. You can ask yourself daring questions like, am I unhappy about the role I'm supposed to play in relationships? Or do I have invisible interests needing to be unleashed? Or is culture organized in a way that cuts me off? Or is there something I need to say? You know, it provides an opportunity to wake up and live consciously, to master your life rather than living in a hassle-harried way. You know, you may even find time to pursue a spiritual practice that's life-giving for you. So m many people fulfill only a small part of themselves because their romantic relationships take so much energy. But alone, a person can experience the expanded you. Solitude can help you commit to the principle of never giving your own care away to someone else again. The goal here is, is to be, have the genuineness that is the most beautiful of human characteristics because it really makes a person highly attractive. The, the goal is to be true to yourself at the most deepest, the most profound level of being. Right. And that person who is that self-aware and has that self-confidence, to your point, is very attractive, right? They know who they are and what they want. You know, you have a great quote in your book, which says, to fail to accept our own aloneness is to render ourselves needy. That's a powerful quote, Kathy. What do you mean by that? Well, partnering is for those who choose to do their growth for however long through a relationship. Growth isn't a question that's going to be there. <laughs> Living on planet mm -hmm. Growth will be no different, though, in that it will still at times be hard and at times feel lonely when you're in a relationship. Growth is truly mostly an alone experience and that no one else lives in your head or your body. Even if you're married, one still does her growth experience experiences essentially alone. If your mother's dying, you feel the pain alone. When you yourself are sick, you feel it alone. When you experience career dif difficulties or fear genetic health issues, he may be beside you, he may listen, but you feel it alone. To fail to accept our essential aloneness is to demand that somebody feel it with us, which really renders us a needy person. There's this great study from a professor that shows that people who have never married and are 40 years old or older, show several characteristics that contribute to their mental health. One is high self-sufficiency. Another is personal mastery and agency. That is the ability to get things done. And they are traits that, if you think about it, are opposite of being needy or dependent. So merely being single and in charge of yourself may fuel these traits. 
Well, Kathy, you never disappoint. Again, I always learn something when we talk, and I know my listeners do as well. And for those who maybe have missed the first two interviews, you can go on to webmasterradio.fm and go back into the archives and listen to them. Or you may want to go out and pick up some of Kathy's books. Just as a reminder, we're talking today about when your relationship changes, but you might want to check out What Women Want Really and The Naked Truth About Men, and those are just some of the books that Kathy has authored, and I do recommend that you do that. You can find them on her LinkedIn, on her website, KatherineFosterPhD.com. You can also find them on Amazon. That's where I found them. So, Kathy, thank you so much for being back on the show today to share your wisdom. It's always fun to be here. Thank you so much. And everyone, stick around for another great show next week right here on Purse Drinks, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. The opinions expressed are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of staff or management. Any rebroadcast or retransmission without consent is prohibited.